Red Solo Cup, I fill you up. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. They tried to stop Canada's Pinball Podcast, but I am inevitable. Everybody, welcome to episode 347 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. And even without a lot of pinball news, we can bring you pinball podcasts that will be entertaining. And let's talk about the inevitability in the pinball hobby that we're experiencing these these days. Like These are the things that no matter what happens... Uh, these are things that are just inevitable in the pinball world, and I don't even have notes. I'm just going to do a show off the cuff, all right? So let's talk about inevitability. The first place I want to start is Deep Root, and I've heard a rumor recently, uh, and I want to just share it with you. And I really do implore if there's someone over at Deep Root that wants to chime in and tell us if this is accurate or not. Um, I would love to hear from them. So here's what I'm hearing about Deep Root because we've been talking about them recently. I'm hearing that It is inevitable that we will not see a Deep Root game on June 30th. That 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 date that we all think is going to be the moment in which uh, they have to fulfill the deal with Zidware customers is not. It's going to come and go, and there will not be a Raza shown to the world uh, within 60 days, which is June 30th, basically. So is that the inevitability of Deep Root? That things are going to happen to them that they did not foresee. That the timeline, if you think about it, when that contract was made, how would they possibly know how long it would take to make a pinball game? How would they possibly know that that, and and you have to imagine that when they set that date, they probably baked into that date a buffer zone in which if they went over their anticipated date, they would still be done with plenty of time to hit that June 30th date. But here we are right? TPF came and went, and the five days of Deep Root never happened. Uh, One little trailer video leaks, and all of a sudden, there's all this new conversation around Deep Root. They have 60 pages, 60 pages of people talking about Deep Root pinball, and they've never made a single pinball machine. And yet, like Jerry with Multimorphic, he's made a game, you can buy it, and he's got eight pages of people talking about it. Why are we so enamored by that? And that is another thing that's inevitable, is that we, in this hobby, we tend to think that everyone is just going to figure it out and make great pinball. It's inevitable that our expectations of new pinball companies are are always very optimistic, are always very hopeful, are always very encouraging. But let me stop for a minute and just let's think about reality. That most new pinball companies that have tried to do what Deep Root is doing, most of them have failed. And yet we think this time it's going to be different. And they're not just trying to make pinball. They're trying to make video games. They're trying to make videos, other things, other forms of entertainment. They're trying to create these IPs to become much larger than just a video game experience. And they're not an entertainment company that has proven they can do this. And do you think that Deep Root is biting off more than they can chew? When you hear stuff like, we're going to manufacture more games than anyone ever. We're going to make games, 12 games, 12 Whitewoods are being worked on right now. We're going to be able to order, you know, take an order and get a customer game within two weeks. I mean, these are all things that they've said. And yet, it's inevitable. 
problems will happen. Delays will happen. The realities of manufacturing, no matter how how much fun they're having developing these games, the realities of manufacturing, that storm is going to hit their shores, and that's probably what they're struggling with right now. Uh, they've had a lot of time to make just one game. They've had a couple years. They've had more than that. And so where is it? When are we going to see something? And June 30th, a date in which we thought we were going to see something, I'm hearing that it's inevitable that that date is going to come and go and we're not going to see any game from Deep Root. You're not going to be able to buy Raza on June 30th. Now, what does that mean for the Zidware people? Well, it's also inevitable that they're going to be screwed. Regardless, it's not even like they're screwed. They already were screwed by John Papaduke. And it's interesting when you read the thread about J-Pop and forgiveness towards John Papaduke. And some people have forgiven him, some people have not. But I know this, I know this. John Papaduke has still not come out, come out publicly, and really apologized for what he did. Even when you listen to him on the panel discussion, there's never been a, a true, sincere apology by John Papaduke to the community. And I think it's long overdue, and that is one of the first things that should have occurred uh, when Deep Root signed him up and, and they were going to utilize his talents at Deep Root. Now, because I believe this, I do believe people should be forgiven when they truly are sorry. And I don't think we should judge people by the worst moments in their lives. And I think people should get second chances in life. Uh, if I don't want to live in a world where people don't get another chance uh, at, you know, at life because they, they, they had one mistake. And he made mistake after mistake after mistake. But it was all one big mistake. And that was him thinking he could make pinball machines on his own. And he screwed over a lot of people. And he lied to a lot of people. And he lied to the community. He lied to vendors. There's still so many vendors that are out so much money. And if you think Cointaker has been taken care of by Deep Root, and they haven't. And people are still screwed over by that whole thing. And people's money now went to developing games that Deep Root will make. And those people's money went to developing those IPs that John developed while at Zidware. And I'm not saying it all just goes away with the snap of a finger, uh, but I still think that we should not completely forget uh, those people who are victims of John who have never really received an apology from the man. He is countersuing them. Do you understand this? This is like people don't want to understand what is actually happening. Instead of saying he's sorry and he's going to make right, he's suing, he's suing the people that invested in Zidware, countersuing them. That is not the move of a man who is sorry that he's going to get litigious with the people that he burned. And yet here we are being told we should just forget all this and move on. I'm willing to forgive and move on. But that has not happened yet, and that's not right. All right. So here's also what I'm hearing that we're probably not going to see deep root games until like maybe end of summer or the fall. So this thing is going to keep dragging out. Uh, and and look, I mean, I, I think they should wait until they're ready. Absolutely. But you got to wonder how are they going to make up all that capital that they're investing into all this work, not just the pinball work, but the other IP work they're doing. And I've worked in the gaming industry. I've worked with comic book people. I've worked with other entertainment companies. And I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. What Deep Root is doing 
is they are very excited to develop this stuff. And I've worked with companies like this. And everyone always thinks they have the next hit video game. They have the next hit comic. They have the next hit movie idea. I've been in this industry many, many, many years with people who have tons of passion. And I definitely feel like they have the passion. But what they're going to realize is that even though you put all all of your passion into these projects, it's still a million to one shot that stuff is going to take off, that it's going to hit. You know how many gaming companies wanted to make Candy Crush or Angry Birds? But it's one in a million that you become that game. Everything else becomes you know, a miss and doesn't catch on and become relevant and, and get people to use it. And so I think they're just developing way too much without having anything out there. They, they, they are building what seemingly is this empire of, of games and content and IPs without testing to see if people want it. And I do get nervous too because Pinside's people's expectations are so low. When I hear people say, I saw the Deep Root video and, and, and really is amazing the kind of storyline that they're bringing to pinball, all they said was that Martians and aliens are attacking Earth and they landed on a, you know, in a nuclear plant that's on top of an amusement park. That, that's it. And there's like a bad guy and a heroine. I don't understand where people are extracting from that video proof that this is just some like mind-blowing new approach to storytelling and pinball right i do think they're going to do things differently but again i think uh, people are looking at this stuff with far too uh, eager and optimistic eyes and maybe we need to be a little bit more of a reality check on this podcast at least because uh, we've given these guys such a pass i mean they blew by tpf with absolutely nothing this video is leaked. They didn't even. They haven't even said where it came from. Is it supposed to be out? Is this just supposed to tease us? We, they they have they grabbed the mic with these panel discussions and they said stuff that is absolutely incredible hyperbole around the hobby. And everyone just is taking it. We're all just taking it. And the reason why we're taking it, and this is this is it. It's like the ultimate get out of jail free card in this hobby where we stop looking at stuff with realistic eyes. As long as they don't take my money, they can say and do whatever they want. And and we're just cool with that. And I, I, I understand that. And I totally agree with that. Like, yeah, they haven't taken our money. So nobody's getting burned. But, you know, at some point, the rubber has to meet the road and, and they need to have a, a launch date and a reveal date and they need to hit that date and they've missed the first one and the second one is June 30th. So if they miss that one, then I think we all have to admit that something is not going according to plan because they're missing their own deadlines. And we've seen that in, in history is proven when manufacturers start to blow by these deadlines it has never ended well for any of those companies, okay? The only company that is making profit time and time again is Stern Pinball. Stern Pinball hits its deadlines. Stern Pinball is always on schedule for the most part. Uh, and if something slips, they can slide something into that spot. But Stern Pinball is the only one who knows how to manufacture pinball machines at volume. And they're not trying to do anything else, right? Deep Root's trying to do like four or five things. They're not just trying to do pinball. That also should make people nervous. They Before they've even shown they can be successful at one thing, they are trying to tackle five things. And overnight, they're, they're just this entertainment company that's going to prove all of us wrong. And it's not about proving us wrong. I, I mean, look, I still hope they succeed. Uh, but I'm very, very nervous that they're biting off way more than they can chew. 
And while it might seem like going in there every day is going to result in something special, again, the big mountain to climb in pinball is always manufacturing. Always. Not as easy as people think. All right. What else is inevitable in pinball? So here's what's inevitable. With games coming out left and right and so many good games coming out, it is just inevitable that you'll be able to buy really great machines for a good price. And all pinball machine prices will come down and it is going to be a buyer's market. I just saw someone list a beautiful, a beautiful Transformers LE on pin side for $4,500. Game looks mint. Game looks gorgeous, uh, and it's $4,500, so not bad. Great, great buy there. I keep seeing dialed-in LEs, which were originally, I believe, $9,000. Dialed-in LEs can be had left and right for $7,500. Same with Wizard of Oz, Ruby Reds, and Emerald City Editions. $7,500 seems to be the price in which you can grab one. And those prices, guess what? They're going to keep going down even more. As more Jersey Jack games come out, as newer Sterns come out, the prices of everything just keeps going down. Now, it's also inevitable if you bought a ton of games and you invested in pinball and didn't think you were going to lose much money, uh, It's uh, I'm here to tell you that your games are all going to lose value and that you just got to buy stuff you love. There's no way around it. You got to buy a game as if you want to keep it. Uh, Otherwise, you might uh, take a big hit on each game moving forward. And for some guys, it doesn't matter. But for for many more of you out there, you you really don't want to lose a thousand to two thousand dollars a game. It's it's not really uh, that's not why you got into the hobby. Okay. All right. What else? What else do we want to talk about on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to read some of your emails, and then we'll talk a little bit about where I think the pinball climate is going to be as we head into summer. How's that sound? All right. All right. So I didn't talk last time about the home pin video, and I want to discuss that. So there was a home pin tour uh, that got posted on YouTube. It was a media outlet when and interviewed Mike over at home pin. And you get to walk the factory. Now, it is always interesting to walk around each of these manufacturers and see what they do inside the factory, how their shops are run. I will say this. After watching that video, I I kind of give Mike credit for trying to do what he did. But I also was just terrified at how difficult it looks to make a pinball company. There is like so many parts. There's so many different things that have to be done. And he's remaking every single part, which I don't think was smart. I mean, he redesigned the flipper button. And, and, and to which people don't like it. They, they want to feel the traditional buttons that are the flipper buttons. And he redesigned those. And, and so he's remade the wheel five times, ten times over on the game. And while he is proud of that, I think that's also one of the reasons why delays happen. It's one of the reasons why the game is not catching on. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I I think home pin is really going to struggle to survive in in the future. And also making the game in China, again, it just seems like, yeah, we get that the labor is cheaper, but it also feels like you're a million miles away from all the vendors and normal places in which so many pinball parts are available. And you're also just, you're, you're just in another part of the world where they have absolutely no history in making pinball machines. 
and and your number one pinball buying public is in America and then so then you have to like ship games so far away like this isn't like putting an iPhone in a box you know a tiny little plastic and glass phone this is putting a, a humongous pinball machine on boats and freight and having to send it around the world it just doesn't seem to make sense to try and assemble the whole game uh, in China all right so I think it is inevitable that home pin pinball will not survive uh, much longer. I, I Can you really see game two coming out from these guys? I can't see it happening. All right. All right. Let me read some of your emails. Here we go. CanadaPinball at gmail.com. I got an email from Carl Lutz. He says, Internet Connected Pinball. Canada, you are absolutely on point with your take on Internet Connected Pinball. It's inevitable. Look, I didn't even make him use that word. It's a game changer. Sky's the limit. Imagine one player in Germany controlling the flail while the other player in Florida is flipping. One person talking smack to the other. Um, imagine video being streamed across the internet to your LCD screen when it's their turn. Game servers hosting players of different skill levels like the PS4 or Xbox do now. It's not too far down the road. I would, however, be remiss if I didn't play Devil's Advocate. Would you now have to purchase a subscription to Norton Antivirus lest you be hacked by the Russian pinball mob? God forbid you should become a victim of ransomware. Would you pay serious Bitcoin to maintain your high score? Technology, though, a bit behind when it comes to pinball. Your damn refrigerator is connected to the internet, for Christ's sakes. Um, wireless networking is a natural in pin, uh, is natural in pinball machines. They have had computers now for over 30 years. The Internet of Things will envelop pinball much as it has your phone or television. All right, so first of all, Carl, thanks for the note. Look, we're going to have to just wait and see how internet pinball occurs. Uh, the one big hurdle, and even as I was thinking about it, is how would the other player, right? Let's say you're controlling the Black Knight flail in Germany and I'm playing in America. How would you see my game? Okay, so there would have to be a camera that is pointing at my game that was broadcasting to you in real time without any glitching, right? Any lag, what's happening in my machine, and then you'd be there and you would be pressing a button to control the flail. I mean, it's not as simple as a video game. And I do understand the the sort of the critics who say, look, that just sounds like it's not going to work. There's not as much people who play pinball games as do video games. And why would we do that? It just seems like it would, it would disrupt the pinball experience in a pointless way. And I'm just here to tell you that, look, I think internet connectivity is coming. But again, we need to see it utilized. All right, I got an email from Dan Donnell who said, Jack Danger said he would do an interview with you. Are you interested? Yes, I am, Dan. And I've talked to Jack, and Jack and I talk offline. And so, yeah, we, we would love to do a show sometime soon, and we'll make that happen for you guys. I know he's been really busy. I, I saw he just set up his new home base, which is really cool. Uh, always enjoy listening and watching Jack's streams. I think he does the best job in the entire industry of streaming videos. I mean, him and Straight Down the Middle to me, they're different types of shows. I don't even consider them to be comp competing shows at all. Uh, I was really excited to see Straight Down the Middle's season three teaser in which they pulled up clips of all the people complaining about <laughs> previous seasons. Those guys, Zach and Greg, they make uh, some of the most entertaining pinball videos that, I, I, that are out there. Between them and uh, Jack Danger, 
they understand the this very simple principle. Same thing we do on this show. You have to be entertaining. You have to have a magnetic personality to make these things interesting. Otherwise, showing pinball machines via the YouTube or Twitch and just getting up there and like, you know, monotonely talking about the game is so freaking boring. It, it, pinball is one of the most boring things to watch for two, three hours. It really is. I don't understand, uh, you know, when, when, when some of these things like stream for four hours long. It's like, why, really? Really? But, you know, those guys are great entertainers, and I look forward to, to hearing their, their, their latest stuff come out sometime soon. Uh, all right, so let's see. Let's talk about James Foggin wrote in. He said, Deep Root, Tropical Thunder. James said, Hi, Chris. Les Grossman. Loving the shows as usual. The rant might have been a bit too much, but since I've not done 300 podcasts, who am I to say? Deep root, from what I can gather, not much could deep root be wait, not much uh, could deep root be aiming for the VR market, imagining well-designed VR pinball with high-end headsets, rift PS VR gear, selling millions of tables for four or five pounds each with zero physical manufacturing costs. Add up a lot of chimichangers. Uh, just a thought. Okay, so James is basically saying, do you think Deeproot is making VR pinball as part of what they're doing? I hope not. There is no way virtual pinball will ever replace physical pinball. It, it just won't happen. And VR, even even in general, VR has sort of come and gone a little bit. It's not it's not what millions of people are doing. The Oculus has not been super successful. PlayStation VR, same thing. It's like, it's neat. It's a little bit of a gimmick. You know, you go into a mall nowadays and there's all these VR things. It's great for like a five to 10 minute experience. Uh, but, you know, they put a whole VR experience in, in my uh, AMC movie theater here, right? It was there. It took up like the whole lobby for like a year or two. You know, they did. They just yanked all that shit out. Like people just don't want it. Uh, and I think Deep Root will be silly uh, it, it will, will fail if what they're planning is primarily VR. And it's not that. So I don't even think we're, we know it's physical machines. We know they're building games that are going to look like Zidware cabinets that are deeper with a big screen underneath the glass. We know that's happening. So I wouldn't worry about that. All right. All right. So I got an email from Doug. Subject is Black Knight. He says, hey, Chris, went down to Boston yesterday to play a pro model. I had high expectations for this game and was considering buying one as I grew up playing the original. So glad I played one before buying one sight unseen. What a letdown. Like you said, no storyline to this game at all. What am I supposed to do? The game gives you no hint what to do once you hit the start button. So I shoot the blinking lights. Still, two balls in there, so no storyline here. What am I supposed to do? The knight is a lame toy. First, it is half of a knight, cut off mid-torso. Where are his legs? The flail is weak. The shield is okay, I guess. The circa 1987 target in front of the king, or sorry, in front of the knight, is a guaranteed straight down the middle drain. I was expecting much, much more. Time to rethink the game, Stern. I can name 10 recent titles that have similar layouts and same repetitive shots. Time for a pinball design revolution, Doug. Well, Doug, first of all, thank you for um, the review of Black Knight. I'm sorry you didn't like the game. First and foremost, I don't think you can look at the Black Knight toy and be like, where is his lower body? There are hardly any 
any big sculpts of toys in games that have full body. So where are Balrog's legs? Where is Mag where are Magneto's legs, right? Where is the Hulk's legs? Where are, where is Herman Munster's? Remember we're working with a pinball machine here, okay? So don't blame them for that. So I, I do think that the design of Black Knight is is not groundbreaking. It's there's nothing really new happening here. And I do think people expect it more. We're hearing this left and right, is that the game is fun, the game is fast, but but again, there's not, not a lot in it. There's not a lot in it. I mean, you have an upper play field that only has a loop and a ball lock and a flipper, and that's it. That's it. There's nothing else up there. So is that really worth so much more money? Uh, and, and again, I think being that they didn't have to pay a license a lot of money to make this game, uh, I do think it's kind of lame that this game costs as much as a, as a huge licensed theme like Guardians of the Galaxy or Deadpool or Star Wars, right? Why is Black Knight the same price as those games? I, I just don't get it. The other thing is this. I saw someone write this on Pinside. They said, the LEs have sold out. Uh, no, they haven't. The LEs of Black Knight, all 600 of them, have not sold out. They are available. And I, it's easy to start a rumor like that and, and try to create some fear of missing out. But these LEs have not sold out. And I also don't think they're going to sell out. I think Black Knight LEs will be just like Deadpool LE. Look look on eBay. You can still buy new in-box Deadpool LEs. Distributors are sitting on them. And they're always going to sit on them. Because there's just not going to be a reason to own the LE version of the game. Uh, and I also think Stern is a little bit of an arrogance play here. I'll tell you why, why I say that. They should have known that this game is going to have less demand than a game like Guardians of the Galaxy. And I thought it was kind of, I just thought it was like bad marketing that they offered 600 LEs, 600 of Black Knight. You know, when you do an LE number, you always want to make one less than there is demand. One less, okay? You, that, that, that's the key of limited editions. You want to make just one fewer game than the amount of people who want it. There are not 600 people that want a Black Knight limited edition game. You know, when we saw like games like Iron Maiden, we saw games like Ghostbusters, we saw games like even Star Wars eventually sold all 800 LEs, but not immediately because we saw the game and not everybody wanted it, right? But for them to think that Black Knight gets more LEs than Ghostbusters, Black Knight has more LEs than Batman, Black Knight has more LEs than The Walking Dead. I mean, it's just kind of comical that they thought this game would sell that much. And and again, it's just, but that's just stern these days, guys. It's rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. They don't look at things individually. They just put any new game into the same old formula. And and you got to wonder too, like why 600? Well, remember Monsters was originally 500 and then they went back and they said, oh crap, like more people in Australia want it. So now it's 600 and they just arbitrarily increased the number. And they, so now they're just like, okay, now it's 600. It's going to be our our number. So look, I mean, they're not sold out. You can go get one. It's, it is what it is. All right, let's see if I got any other notes from people here. I did get a long note from Jerry at P3. And I want to sort of talk about this. And maybe I'll just read you some of his stuff. I might have to just paraphrase. Okay, but he started off by saying, hey, Chris, just listen to your latest episode on the way to work today. Thank you for pro providing me with hours of entertainment on my drive to and from work. Your passion and strong opinions are fun to hear, 
and your technical analysis of games and marketing insights are always interesting. Serious question. When you think about and talk about the possibility of Deep Root reimagining pinball, bringing new ideas, new ball interactions, new gameplay elements, a mix of old and new talents, and delivering game-changing innovations that you think people want in pinball, does Multimorphic even enter your thoughts? Okay, so Jerry, again, I would love to have you on the show. I don't want to I don't want to like, you know, just go off, uh, you know, take a private email and then do a whole episode on it. But I think that's a, I think this is a fair question, Jerry, that I can answer on air. And I might answer a couple of your other points, but I'm not going to read this whole email. Now, does multimorphic enter my thoughts when I think about these things? And I think, Jerry, yes. When it comes to innovation, I do think about multimorphic. Okay, but there's something you said. And you said it in your own words, game-changing innovations that you think people want in pinball. Okay, and I think want is the key thing. And want has always been, I believe, the most important word uh, in, in marketing. It's the most important word when you're making a new pinball company. Are we going to make what people want? Because if we do, if we do it right and we give the people what they want, there's going to be demand and there's going to be sales and there's going to be hype and there's going to be buzz and there's going to be buyers and there's going to be, you know, club threads and there's going to be games on location. And, but, but Jerry, I mean, I think where I'm at the point now, it's like, how do you make P3 multimorphic something that people want? We've been showing the game, uh, you know, sorry, we've seen the game for a while. And I, I think it's fair to say that in its current iteration, in the way the platform is currently out there, uh, that people have not come to P3 Multimorphic's doors and droves and said, this is what we want. And I think the sales would be there if that were the case. All right, let me read some more of what Jerry says. He says, says, you and many others tell me the one thing we're missing is a killer theme, yet the industry is abuzz about the non-licensed J-pop themes from Deep Root. You predicted today that Deep Root games will allow you to play new games from where you left off in some kind of adventure mode. Lexi Lightspeed does that. It lets you save your game's state uh, and resume it later, even playing a new three-ball game from where you left off. You talked about games providing an introductory story animation. Lexi Lightspeed does that. It's a 60-second introductory video that optionally plays at the beginning of every game. You talked the other day about Deep Root having a large screen on the back of the playfield that you can do things like present an environment. You use Black Knight as an example. Cannon Lagoon for the P3 has that. You talked about doing exciting new things with a pinball, having a ball go in one hole and instantly come out another hole in the playfield. Lexi Lightspeed does that. You talked about doing new things with magnets. Cosmic Kart Racing does that. You talked about games connecting to other and allowing to play against other machines. Heads up in Cosmic Kart Racing, do that. All right, so let me stop there. So Jerry has a really you know, good point. I mean, look, I've been saying that games should do a lot of these things. And so P3 Multimorphic allows you to do a lot of these things. And then again, it begs the question, okay. So again, this is just marketing. This is like, I, I like this kind of analysis, Jerry. And I, and I do think Jerry's a very smart guy. And this is where like marketing is really important. So if we have all these elements in our pinball experience, then why are people not gravitating towards it? And then this is what you would do in marketing. You would, you would say, okay, well, what, what, what is working and what's not working? And where can we sort of, where are we missing the boat? 
And I think what Jerry needs to do, and, and I really do, I think Jerry needs to do a focus group in which people are brutally honest with him about why they're not buying what he's selling. Because this is the problem I think that happens is they go to the show and Jerry's a really nice guy and people meet him, but he needs a focus group. He needs a focus group of guys like Iceman and guys like, uh, you know, Hilton and get crazy levy, get, get like 20 dudes who are super, uh, vocal, 20 dudes who have different opinions about pinball machines. And I would get them in a room and I would literally say, what do you want? What are we not doing? Is that's what you want. And that's how you make a product successful is you need to do the right kind of market research. See, what I think happened with, with P3 Multimorphic is this is Jerry's dream. And so he built the platform that he thought people would want. And he's doing things. And, and Jerry, everything you just mentioned, I do think people want that in pinball. But there's something about the platform and how the, all this stuff comes to life in the current iteration of the platform that's just not clicking with people. And, and, I, and I'm just going to say this, you might do market research and it might show you that, you know what, making the entire play field out of a screen isn't really what people want. And that if you remove that and you made more of a classic pinball machine, but with those other innovations in the game and figured out how to do that, you might sell more. And, you, and, then, and then again, you see what I'm saying? Like you need to do that. Uh, and if it's not working, it's not working. And, and that's the hardest part is if you're, if you spent seven years making something a certain way and it's just not working, at what point do you change the playbook? At what point do you call an audible and just go make a, a more traditional pinball game with certain elements that you learned from your first product, right? So take what is working in P3 and put it in to a more traditional pinball package for people. Because how can you, how can you say we did it or we feel good about it when total nuclear annihilation, which has a, you know a tenth of the innovation of P3 Multimorphic, has outsold it ten times? So you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's all that that it comes down to. I mean, this is business. There is nothing other than re business realities that are hitting all these companies. It's not just P3 Multimorphic. There's just a reality if you don't listen to the market research and you don't do your market research, you know, you know what happens? You end up with Oktoberfest. You end up with Oktoberfest. When I asked Josh Kugler, why Oktoberfest? You, you heard his answer. It's just a game that Joe Balser wanted to do. That's it. There was no other market research. There was no focus groups. There was no testing of other themes. They let Joe Balser just make the game that he wanted to make. That is the worst kind of marketing research you can do. A, folk, a focus group of one. So then it's all on Joe Balser. Now here's the problem. If they let Joe Balser make his Oktoberfest, right? You want to make this game, Joe. How many are we going to sell? And Joe Balser needs to give his KPIs, you know, key performance indicators. He, he should have to commit to how many games his theme will sell if he's allowed to make it his way. I mean, is this not a business? You know, when I, when I give someone an idea at work, I have to anticipate how successful I will be with that idea. And you know what that makes me do? It makes me think twice, three times, four times, five times on whether or not I truly believe in this idea. It's not just like Chris gets handed money from these major brands and I just sort of am just on a hunch that I think this will work. And here, here's, here's the reality 
is that Joe Balser being given carte blanche to make Oktoberfest without any market research. But here's the problem I have with all these companies when they do it this way, and it shows a lack of professionalism by Davo and Nermal and, and American Pinball. If Joe gets to make his game and he gets to do it, then if he doesn't hit his performance numbers, what are the consequences? They're going to spend all this money and they're going to manufacture this entire game and they're going to let Joe do what Joe wants to do without any market research. And let's say he says, look, we're going to sell a thousand Oktoberfest games. If you let me make Oktoberfest, I guarantee you we'll sell at least a thousand. Okay, Joe, you got it. That's the deal. Okay, so Oktoberfest comes out. What happens when it sells 375 units and then sales are, are stuck? What happens? Do they fire Joe Balser? Is he held accountable? No. He's already, they're already on to games three, four, and five with absolutely zero market research. Because here's the other thing, too. I know they put those four themes up, you know, like Sherlock Holmes and what was it, like Valkyrie and Poker Run, right? They, they put those other themes, those four other themes up. And there was another one that I'm, that I'm missing right now. Um, Robin Hood, right? They put those up. And again, and, and, and so what's, where's the focus group? Where's the market research? And, I, and, and I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. People picked which one of those they thought were the best. But goddamn, most people deep down inside are like, none of these are good themes. None of them really are working for us. If, if you make me select one of these four, sure, I'll give you my opinion. But do I really think you're going to sell a lot of Sherlock Holmes in 2019, 2020? And so are you going to sell a lot of Valkyrie? Are you going to sell a lot of Poker Run? You're probably going to sell you know, hardly any Robin Hoods. The, every Robin Hood movie is bombed. Why is that even on the list? And see, that's the issue I have. And I'm sorry, this podcast went in a little bit of a different direction right now. But I just want to be brutally honest. You got to give the people what they want. And they're not going to tell you to your face, this isn't what I want. They're going to be nice to you. They're going to be nice to Steve Ritchie and say, hey, you really nailed it with Black Knight. If they see Steve Ritchie at a show, that's what they're going to say. They're going to suck up to George Gomez. They're going to suck up to Christopher Frangie. They're going to, that's what we do. At shows, we're nice to everyone's face. And then when we walk away, the ultimate, the ultimate reality is if did we buy it or not. You know, what are we telling our friends on our Facebook chats and text messages? The real truth. You know, that's the, that's the important part of bringing people into your company and saying, I want you to tear this idea apart. I want you to tell me what's wrong with this. I want you to tell me if you'd actually buy an Oktoberfest. You know, and they don't do that. They just act as if, if you build a pinball machine, the buyers will come. If you make pinball more innovative, the buyers will come. If you do new stuff in a pinball machine, it will excite people. And I'm here to tell all you manufacturers out there, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that Stern can sell 10,000 machines a year, that Stern can show every single pinball company how it's done. They have the entire playbook. It's all out there for all of you other people to follow. Pro premium LE model works. Building pinball machines based upon themes people want works. They, they know it, they, they've given you guys how to be successful companies. And it's like all these pinball companies that are trying to steal market share from Stern. They don't get it. You don't need to reinvent pinball. You don't need to reinvent flipper buttons. You don't need to add all this stuff. You just need to make a good pinball machine with good art based upon a theme people want. And then, yes, people will buy it. I mean, look at TNA selling what it sold. 
To me, that is the ultimate indicator that if you just even even meet Stern halfway with your game, it will sell. It will sell. But but most of these companies don't understand that. They don't understand it. And and I think Oktoberfest is a good example of a game that even though they've jam-packed everything into it, if they didn't give people what they wanted when it came to theme and comes to artwork, it's not going to sell well. And that's the same thing with P3 Multimorphic. Even though Jerry has all this great innovation, if you're not giving people what they really want, does anybody want Lexi Lightspeed? I, you know, it's just like the conversation might end there. And did you do a focus group uh, uh, when you when you thought of Lexi Lightspeed? Like, what what was the rationale behind telling Dennis Norman, "Here's what we're gonna do"? I I, I don't know these answers. I'm just a consumer that sees these things come to market. Once you bring your product to market, then then it's out of your hands. Now it's up to me to say, do I want it or not? Will I buy it or not? When I see a game like Willy Wonka, I want it. I want to buy it. It's a pinball game. It's fun. It's based on a theme I love. It shoots amazingly well. Sure, there are things about it I would change, but none of the big things, none of the big wants are missing for me. They aren't. I, I mean, I, and I've played the game. Yes, I wish the art was, was better. I do. I'll say it. I do. I wish it was better, but clearly the license, licensor didn't let him do anything more than that. That's why it's the same goddamn Wonka in every image. But everything else about it, I'm fine with. I mean, some people hate the music. I'm not. I don't have a problem with the music, you know. But but it's a great pinball experience. It shoots amazingly well, and it's Willy Wonka. The world of Wonka is coming to life in that game for me. All right, so I want it, and I'm gonna buy it, and I'm gonna have it. Uh, but I, 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 there's, I don't know how I could, I don't want an Oktoberfest. It's just not a theme that will ever appeal to me, no matter what you put into the game. I don't want a Robin Hood. I don't want a Sherlock Holmes. You know, I want a Big Trouble in Little China. I, I want a Karate Kid. I want these games. You know, I want Top Gun. I don't want Black Knight. I don't want it at all. I, I, I get what it is. I just don't want it at all. And, and you know, and, and what focus group did Stern do to say, hey, how many Black Knights will we sell? I, I, I bet they didn't. Uh, but they they let Steve do his thing. When, I'm telling you, if you look at this whole industry, then I'm going to end this episode. The biggest failures have happened when they have just let designers do their own thing without any oversight. That's what Zidware was. That's what Dialed In was. Yeah, just let Pat make what Pat wants to make. That's why that game turned out to be that. Because there was no oversight. Look at Black Knight. Same thing. You just let Steve... Okay, okay. You know, let these guys just do their thing. And then what happens? See, here's my issue is, but who's held accountable when these designers are allowed to just make the most important decisions on their own? And 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 then what happens when those things don't work out? Who's accountable? Right? For a big company like Stern, it's okay. I understand why they did Black Knight. It doesn't matter if this game is not successful. They are going to hit you with Jurassic World. They're going to hit you with Godzilla. They're going to hit you with Monsters. They're going to keep coming. Stern can easily afford... Uh, you know, a, a mediocre seller every once in a while. And, and they're just letting Steve make a game because he earned that. You know, Steve has made games that have sold 5,000 units, 7,000 units. You know, he's 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 probably sold Stern, I don't know, maybe, maybe 100,000 plus games came from Steve Ritchie, maybe more. You know, I don't know the total number. He's also done something for Stern. He's made them millions of dollars. So he gets to do this. Has Joe Balser made American Pinball any money with Houdini? No. So we give him the keys to the castle for game two, and he's just going to be the same guy designing it. And that's the other part that terrifies me with American Pinball. I, I got to be honest. Same designer. 
same coders, same artists. It's the same same team. You're going to keep putting the same team on the court. What's changing? What, how, why do we expect the outcome to be any different if the same guys are taking the field? And, and, and I'm serious when I say this. If I was a pinball company and I put my trust in a designer and his design did not equal sales, I'd fire him and I'd go hire someone until they got it right. You know, I don't know about what work you work in, but in my industry, it's the same thing. We don't we don't really fire people that much in where I work, but I'll tell you this. If your ideas don't resonate with the client and no one's buying what you're selling, you're, you're not gonna be on that piece of business for very long, and we're gonna find someone who knows what how to do it right. And then when it comes to like who gets the big salaries, who gets the offices, who makes more money, who gets the bonuses, you know who gets all that stuff? The people who deliver what the clients want. And ultimately, in my industry, it's what consumers want. So when my vitamin water story, right, my $100,000 to give up your smartphone for a year, you know how I sold it to the client? Last year, vitamin water got three, in total, three media stories about the brand, right? This was like before my campaign hit. And I said, if you trust me on this idea, I guarantee you I will at least double that number to six. When my story hit the news, we had 3,100 unique stories in the media about vitamin water. Good Morning America, the Today Show. And it costs so little to do that campaign. And that's why, that's why, you know, I'm good at what I do. But I'm also nervous. I'm anxious with every idea because I'm only as good as my last idea. And I think these pinball designers, to me, they don't seem to always have the anxiety and the hunger and the drive to make sure they give you, the customer, what you want. It's not a, that's what, that's all that matters in, in business. Did you give the pinball buying people what they wanted or did you just make the game for yourself? And the last company I'll bring up when it comes to that is Spooky Pinball. And I think they're learning their lesson. For the longest time, I, I, I honestly felt like Charlie was just making these games for him and Bug. Like it was just like, we're just gonna make the games we wanna make. And, and they didn't understand what people wanted in pinball. And I think the more they're starting to give people what they want, the more successful they are in pinball. And it's not, it, it shouldn't matter what you personally want to make. You should find something that you're passionate about, but it has to also have people out there who want it, right? Because ultimately, that's the ultimate inevitability in this entire industry is it's inevitable that you will go out of business if you don't make pinball machines that people want. And it's inevitable that if you don't use research or focus groups or really get the honest truth from people that you will be misguided, you will make mistakes, and you will fail. And that's life. Sometimes we just we act like every pinball company is just gonna survive because, because we want pinball to survive so much. But the, the circle of life means there's gonna be winners and losers. There's gonna be successes and failures. And when I look out over at the pinball landscape, Stern Pinball is super successful. They show everyone how to do it. And yet everyone finds different ways to try to ignore all of the free information Stern is giving them on a daily basis. It's kind of pathetic that people just can't follow that model. Like people want limited edition games. And then when American Pinball is like, we're not going to make limited edition games. We don't believe in that. So you don't believe in doing the thing that's working well for a company. That, that's, that's smart. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just, just avoid limited editions. So you're basically telling collectors, we're not going to make a game for you. 
And even though we know people want a numbered game with a plaque and it being limited, we're not going to do that because market research, again, right, seems really stupid when you deconstruct it because the mistake they're making, it's the mistake all these new companies make. They think they're doing it for the love of pinball. They think they're doing it to like expand pinball to the next generation. And they think, you know, what they're really trying to do is they're trying to attack Stern's approach. And they're trying to say, well, that's not right. Like you're catering to the rich and you're creating like a frenzy that shouldn't be there. And it should just be about the love of the game. And that is why Gary Stern is a realist and Gary Stern is a millionaire. And Gary Stern and George Gomez are the two smartest men running pinball companies because they're realists. They're still delivering pinball fun every month, but they understand people. They understand what people want and they understand how to give it to them. And they understand how to manufacture the product that you put in your homes. And I think everybody else starts to become more like these hopeful dreamers and and they don't understand the reality of how to sell a pinball game to people and how to create that feeding frenzy to get your game. Uh, They don't get it yet, all right? Wow, this took a little bit of a tangent, but I'm glad you guys are still with me. This was episode 347 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm glad you guys listen to every show. For those of you who donate to my Patreon account, hold on, I need to call out someone who donated because he basically said, after hearing how someone dropped their donation after my Pinside Babies rant, he said, Canada, I'm going to donate. And he donated to the page. And I want to do an extra special thank you to Matthew Stevens for being that guy who donated to the show um, after someone pulled their their money from the show. So I, I really want to thank all of you who donate to my Patreon account. Um, it's, pay, it's Canada Pinball if you go to Patreon. Uh, I have 34 of you that donate uh, to the show, who have donated to the show. And I want to thank all 34 of you from the bottom of my heart. I mean, think about that. There's like 34 dudes out there that are donating money to Canada's Pinball Podcast who have to hide that fact from their wives. Do I have any female supporters? I hope so. Anyway, everyone, this has been episode 347. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back with some interviews. Maybe Jack Danger will come on this week, but I've got some more guests lined up. It's Again, it's going to be a time where there's not a lot of pinball news, and I think we could use this time to be more reflective and philosophical and deconstruct the hobby a little bit uh, in this period in which there's like no news. I really feel bad for guys like This Week in Pinball and Jeff and some of the other podcasts out there who like there's just not a lot to talk about. This is really going to be a time where we're really going to have to like manufacture some news or, or just think about different ways to deconstruct this hobby. But this is episode 347. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Canada's Pinball Podcast. Yeah! Bye. Bye. Bye.